morning because there's really one theme going on today, but there's a lot involved with it. So we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 5. And if you want to hold place to where we're going to be going, we're going to be going from there to Psalm 80. And then jump ahead to Matthew chapter 21. And you're going to see these all have there's a theme that connects them all. Oh, sorry. We haven't started the not enough, not yet. We did? Oh, man. All right, Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1. I will sing for the one I, I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones. He planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard what could, than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain upon it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field, till no space is left, and you live alone in the land. And then Psalm 80, starting in verse 7. Restore us, God Almighty, and make your face shine on us, that we may be saved. You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, its shoots as far as the river. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass by pick its grapes? Boars from the forest ravish it, and insects from the field feed on it. Return to us, God Almighty, look down from heaven and see. Watch over this vine, the root that your hand has planted, the son that you have raised up for yourself. And then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 21 and verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. 
Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in, in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held he was a prophet. The word of the Lord. Now the observant among you might have seen a theme through here. It's tomatoes. Well, maybe not. The Lord is picturing the nation of Israel, his people, as a vineyard and as a vine and as the people tending the vineyard. It's going to work on multiple levels. Now, we track with the gospel, and we we say every Sunday, or at least I try to, that we talk about the story of the gospel as the story of God who desired to have fellowship with us, who created creation for fellowship with us. And that plan went badly very early on because of the choices that we made and our forefathers. But God was not content with that. God worked to restore that. And part of his plan of restoration was he picked a man. He picked Abraham and he said, I'm going to make you into the father of a family. And I'm going to make your family into a great nation. And through that great nation, I am going to bless the world. That was his plan of redemption. His plan to bring his creation back into fellowship with him. Not just the individual members, but even the fire trucks. God was in Christ reconciling all things to himself, so I can claim that fire truck is part of reconciliation. (laughs) Sorry. Strange sermon illustration. But anyway. So he has this plan, and he chooses this people. And here he's picturing them as a vine, as a vineyard. He talks about what he did to prepare the vineyard. He talks about taking out the stones and preparing the soil. Well, we know that when God called Abraham, he promised that he would move him, his family, into the Holy Land. Now, he said to Abraham, I'm not going to do it right now because, by the way, the people that are living here aren't as bad as they could be, so I'm not kicking them out now, but at some point this is going to be yours. And if we read the Old Testament, we see the story of how God took that family and he brought them up, he brought them into Egypt where they became, that family became a great nation and then he brought them out of Egypt. So we have that line in Psalm 80, you transplanted a vine from Egypt and you drove out the nations and planted it. He cleared the nations out of what was the Holy Land. 
and he planted Israel there. But he was very clear when he said to Israel, he said, by the way, it's because of the wickedness of the people that were here before you that they were driven out. If you do the same things, the land will spit you out as well. And we have this picture of him coming to this vine. He intends to get fruit from this vine. The vine grows. We have descriptions in in Psalm 80 that it it reaches to the sea, it reaches to the river, it reaches far into the desert, reaches to the north, reaches to the south. Israel becomes a geographically large nation for that region. Um, It's a small region, so you can be geographically large for that region and still be pretty small. But, you know, it's, it's the big fish in a small pond. But instead of accomplishing what God intends for it, instead of being his vehicle of redemption, it turns inward. And it starts thinking that these blessings are all for itself. He'll say through the prophet Isaiah, I looked for justice and saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. These are his people. This is supposed to be the vehicle of blessing to the world. And instead, they've become concerned with getting their own way, getting their own power. Why does this happen? And this can happen in our own lives. You get this mindset. There's, There's two kinds of mindset. One is that the world is a limited thing. There's only so much to go around and we need to make sure we, we're taken care of and that our, our families and our people are taken care of. That's one mindset. That's a scarcity mindset. The other mindset, the mindset that's originally pictured in Scripture, is that God is a generous Father who delights to give gifts. And oh, by the way, he gives his gifts to everybody. The Bible tells us that God sends his sunlight and his rain on the, on the good and the wicked. He does not discriminate He gives his gifts to everybody. This is a generous view of the world, that God gives blessing for that blessing to keep flowing. When God's people forget that and they begin to war over it and to carve it up, they're giving bad fruit. They're not fulfilling that mission of blessing that God intended. It was true of Israel then. It can be true of us now. We get this line in Isaiah, Woe to you who had house to house and joined field to field till no space is left, and you live alone in the land. One of the things in Israel, when God gave land to the families, one of the original things in Israel was you could sell a field. If you needed the money, you could sell a field. But, oh, guess what? In the year of Jubilee, which is every 49 years, the 50th year, Everything would go back to the family it belonged from because nobody was to be cut off permanently. That seems weird to us because we think in terms of owning something. I own this iPhone. It's mine. It would be weird if in 2026 Apple said, okay, we're coming for our iPhone again. Give it back to us and you can buy it again. That would be weird. We don't think of the world that way. But that's not how God thinks of the world. He thinks of it as, I have given good gifts to everybody. And yes, you can, you can use it for your sustenance, but nobody can ever buy it all up. That's not part of God's plan. There should be space for everybody. We see this over and over and over in the Levitical codes, in the codes to Israel about how they're supposed to live. 
you can have a huge farm, but oh, by the way, don't farm to the edge of your fields. Any, any of the crops that are left at the edge of your fields, leave those so that people who are poor and don't have land can come and they can get something. And oh, also so the birds and animals can have something to eat. Also, every seven years you're going to give your land a rest. Those are pictures of abundance. You do that because there is enough. There's not a scarcity. If you believe in God, if you trust in God, it's okay to operate that way, to leave a margin for everybody else. But if you begin to doubt that, if you begin to think, I know God's provided for me every time in the past, but this time's different, you can start to think, I need to, I need to get a little bit extra for myself. I need to protect my own provision. I need to make sure my nation is okay. And when you do that, not only are you expressing distrust in God, but you're expressing trust in whatever it is you're hoarding, whether that be land or money or prestige, whatever it is, you're placing more trust in that than in God. And the biblical term for that is idolatry. You're no longer worshiping God and trusting him to give you things the things you need, you're beginning to look at the things you need as if they are your ultimate source. You're passing into idolatry. So that's a problem here. That's a problem the nation of Israel is entering into. They're becoming bitter. They're becoming grasping. They're becoming just like everybody else they're supposed to be different from. They're called to be holy as God is holy. The root of the word holy in Hebrew means to be different. Sometimes people tre- will treat it like it's an absolute thing, like holiness is its own thing, you know. Oh, you know, just this kind of glowing thing. But it's, it literally means to be different. Well, if you're just like everybody else, you're now not different. You're not holy as God is holy. What are you? You're unholy and that sounds like a horror movie with like graveyards in the middle of the night you know that's that's not the picture of life that's not a fruitful vineyard that's that's like going down to Salem at Halloween or something which is kind of fun but you know aside the point so what does God do he's like you're supposed to be this fruitful vine and uh you're not. So I'm going to take away. I'm going to take away that protection around you that I had around you. And I'm going to let you go into exile. And which is what happens. And Israel comes back from exile, but they're not reestablished as the kingdom they were. They're under persecution, by, under occupation and persecution by a series of empires. But God is not content to let it rest there. So if Israel has failed to be the vine, what's God going to do? He's going to become the vine himself. Book of Romans tells us that God says, you know, if every, Paul says in the book of Romans, if everybody is, is faithless and a liar, God will be true. Israel abandoned their call to be the vine. God himself is going to be the vine in the person of Jesus. 
John 15 says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. My command to you is this. I'm skipping here, but my command to you is this. Love each other as I have loved you. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to be the vine. And as long as you stay attached to me, you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear good fruit. I'm not going to come to the vineyard and find bad fruit. I'm not going to find rotten tomatoes, sad grapes. <laughs> Are you making a sad grape face? <laughs> You know, I'm preaching this and I'm picturing veggie tales in my head. This is just... Anyway, but that's, that's the solution is Jesus becomes the vine himself and he asks us, just stay in me and you will bear much fruit. Now, the whole problem with Israel was they weren't bearing fruit. But the way to bear fruit is not through effort. It's through remaining with God. There's a lot of pressure in the church world these days to, to you want to be effective. You want to be impactful. We'll throw out words like that, especially at ministry conferences. But God doesn't call us to be that. He calls us to be faithful and remain in him. And he says, if you do that, I'll take care of the fruit. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. That's a promise. Now, sometimes we... We think, well, I'm, I'm remaining in God, but what, I, don't, I don't necessarily see any fruit. Well, maybe we're not looking for the right fruit. Sometimes people will say, oh, you know, that ministry is bearing a lot of fruit. What, what do they mean? Usually they mean, wow, they have a lot of people coming to, their, coming to their church now, and they have a really cool sound system, and... You know, their worship services are just like a concert or something. That may be neat. That may be cool. Doesn't necessarily mean they're bearing fruit. There is a chance that things like that can be a mile wide and an inch deep. And if something happens to the head of that structure, everything goes to pieces. We don't find numbers described as fruit in the New Testament. That's not a picture of success. If you were going to look at first century Israel and picture who the most successful guy was, who to get your hands, who to get your uh, horse behind, as it were, that's a weird metaphor. Anyway, who to be behind, you, you'd look at John the Baptist. He has all these huge crowds. Jesus has some crowds for a while, although historically probably not as large as John the Baptist's. And at one point, he says something that makes everybody go, what? And he's back down to 12. 
some, sometimes the mark of success in ministry is that you multiply your congregation from a few thousand down to 12. So what is fruit? Well, Galatians gives us a good description of fruit. This is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you find that growing in your life, that's a pretty good evidence that you're bearing fruit. If you don't see that in your life, maybe you need to concentrate a little more on remaining in God. And it's not difficult. It just means accepting God into every area of your life and dealing with it. When I was a a new Christian, I used to hear the thing, you know, you want to give your whole heart to God. And it was kind of preached in terms of like, yeah, you know, your whole heart belongs to God. You have to get everything out of it that's not God. But that's not actually what it means. What it means is you bring your whole heart to God. The really horrible, nasty parts of your heart too. The part of you that can't get over unforgiveness. The part of you that is self-doubting. Whatever it is, you bring your whole heart and you live your whole life before God. And you remain with him and you let God deal with that. God is bigger than anything that can get in the way. There's a Quaker writer named Richard Foster. He has this great thing. And he talks about how we, let our, how we hide our sin because we're worried about how sin, that we know that sin separates us from God. And he said, God's big enough to deal with our sin. And yes, sin separates you from God, but hiding your sin separates you from God even more. So just bring whatever you have, your garbage to God, and stay and remain in him. And you will bear fruit. Which brings us to the parable of the tenants, where Jesus talks about that vineyard and the people that keep it. Sometimes, even if we're bearing fruit, even if we're doing what we're supposed to, it doesn't achieve what it's supposed to do in the world. And that again comes down to people thinking, this is for us. So we can be having these fabulous communities. We can be developing this great character. We can be remaining in the Lord and being truly transformed. But if we just keep that in the family, we're not giving it to the owner of the, owner of the vineyard. We're not rendering to him a harvest. We're just kind of playing with the toys. That was the case of the nation of Israel, and that vineyard was taken from them. Now, in God's provision, it was taken from them, Paul says, only for a time so that we could come in. But the point is, if we want to be faithful, if we want to be fruitful, we need to make sure we're remaining in God, and then we need to make sure that we're not keeping the fruit of that in the family, but that we're spreading it out into the world. Because the purpose of God for his nation Israel and for his church was to bless the world.